Good morning. Welcome to you. It is Eric Erickson here across our fruited plain. Well, at least Georgia and Tennessee and Alabama. Now, I I got news for you. Uh, But first, I guess you need the phone number, don't you? Uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. When I was a kid, I, I think most of you know this. I grew up in Dubai. Uh, my dad, we moved over there when I was about five. We came home when I was 15. We would come home into the summer. We didn't live there 365. Every few months we would take a trip somewhere. Our visas had to be renewed. I've still seen more countries than States. But when I was a kid, my favorite cartoon was Calvin and Hobbes. The, the last Calvin Hobbes, I have it framed somewhere. The last, it crushed me, uh, when Bill Watterson ended Calvin and Hobbes. I, that and the far side, when I was a kid, that my dad loved the far side. I loved the far side. They were the, the just the two greatest things. And I, I genuinely, I, I think the solution to all of life's problems are found in, in the Bible and Calvin and Hobbes. And if you've never read Calvin and Hobbes, you should, you should, I've got the entire collection. My wife got it for me for Christmas several years ago. It is three bound volumes of Calvin and Hobbes. And I saw someone mention this on the internet. I, I can't take original credit for this and it kills me that I can't because uh, it's such a, a a genius thought. But we need to talk about Calvin Ball. Friends, let's discuss the dynamics of Calvin Ball. E, e, whether you read Calvin and Hobbes or not, you should be familiar with the term Calvin Ball. It has entered the lexicon. Uh, Calvin Ball is a ball game for which there are no rules except for the rule that there are no rules and the game may not be played the same way twice. Uh, Calvin in Calvin and Hobbes was too undisciplined and unable to work well with others to be able to be on an organized sporting team. He couldn't do baseball. He couldn't do basketball. He couldn't do football. He couldn't do soccer. He couldn't do badminton for that reason. Calvin was a a a sixth grader or what? It was six year old, six year old Calvin, perpetually six years old, and he did not play well with others except for Hobbes. Hobbes was his tiger, who, when the adults were not around, Hobbes came to life, and Hobbes was as real as you and me. And they would play Calvin ball and. Uh, they, they would begin the game as a soccer game where the goal was to hit the soccer ball into a uh, golf-like hole. By the end of it, they were playing capture the flag. It was Calvin ball. The, the thing changed dynamically on the field. The next time they played capture, they played Calvin ball, they may start with capture the flag and end in a hunt, a tiger hunt, no less. They could play Calvin Ball and be chased by dinosaurs or aliens. They could play Calvin Ball without a ball or with a ball or with a bat or, or with a with fireworks or, or with, with flags or with wagons down a hill. They could play Calvin Ball. Calvin Ball was a game that changed. And one time, Calvin remarked that sooner or later, all our games turn into Calvin Ball. I have decided our games have turned into Calvin Ball. We are playing Calvin Ball. And it is the media, I think, by and large, that is playing the Calvin Ball game, and we are stuck on the field with them. In April, 
protests were bad and everyone was going to get the virus. In May, Brian Kemp and all the governors who opened early had blood on their hands for all the people that would be dead within two weeks. In uh, May, at the end of May, all of you you white partying kids on boats were going to get the rest of us killed by your Memorial Day revelry. Uh, and then, nope, don't, you're racist. You're racist. You're racist if you say the protesters are going to spread viruses by June. No, you are a racist if you believe that the protesters would spread the virus. Nope, you can't say anything about those large pride marches that they weren't supposed to have that cropped up organically in major cities around the country at the end of June. Nope, you can't say that because you would be a bigot and a homophobe if you said that those large gatherings of unmasked people might cause the spread of the virus. So we went from large gatherings of people in April with white people caused the virus to large gatherings of white people at the end of June with pride who don't cause it. In between, we had George Floyd and riots and protests, and those don't cause pro- those don't cause the virus. And even if they do, the right to protest is more important than the virus because now we have a First Amendment that we did not have in April. And oh, by the way, Brian Kemp is killing everybody. We're in freaking Calvin Ball. And so here, here, here's the point here. If, if, if the rules don't apply, if the only rule of the game is that there are no rules, then the media really can't shame you for not wanting to wear a mask. I, I think you should. You know that ad, ad nauseum. I, I think everyone should. I agree with the CDC at this point. Uh, but, hey, the, you know, the CDC rules have changed. In, in February, March, they said don't wear a mask. Only sick people need to wear a mask. And now they say, you know, if we could wear a mask, we could take, take care of this thing in two months. We, we could get rid of it, except we can't get rid of it because it's a virus, just like the flu. It's going to come back. When do we stop wearing masks? That's a valid question. When do, when, when do we wear masks and when do we not wear masks? When do we stop wearing masks? I think we're in Calvin Ball. And so now what is the logical outcome? If we're in Calvin Ball now, if we're in Calvin Ball where the the only rule is that there is no rule and the rules cannot be used twice, it allows people to decide for themselves what rules they will use on the field. I mean, if you ever if you ever read Calvin and Hobbes, you could. And now I've I've got while well, I've been sitting here uh, typing, pull this up. Uh, let, let me just read you this from this is from the New York Times. Uh, rules cannot be used twice, except the rule that rules cannot be used twice. And any plays made in one game may not be made again in any future games. The game may involve wickets, mallets, volleyballs, and additional sports related equipment. There's only one permanent rule in Calvin Ball: players cannot play it the same way twice. For example, in one game of Calvin Ball, the goal was to capture the opponent's flag, whereas in a different game of Calvin Ball, the goal was to score points by hitting badminton shuttlecocks against trees using a croquet mallet. And sooner or later, all games become Calvin Ball. If if that's if that's the case, if the only rule is that you can't use the same rules twice. Well, then it's we got 350 million people in this country, and when they see the media shifting on a dime with the rules that they use and how they apply it to different groups, depending on who the group is, whether they're white or black or gay or straight or Christian or non-Christian or Republican or Democrat or Trump supporter or non-Trump supporter, then guess what? Everyone else is going to play by their own rules too. And when the media 
it doesn't have the integrity to acknowledge that the rules have changed necessarily because the data and science have changed and instead use that change in data without acknowledging the change to then try to attack politicians who haven't kept up. I mean, essentially what we've done is we've taken the social justice warrior nonsense we're all going through with cancel culture and we've applied it to the virus. Yesterday, no, no, let, 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 let's, let's go back. You could, three years ago, three years ago, you could say something funny that today will get you canceled and they will cancel you for what you did three years ago. You showed up in blackface a decade ago. You could have a job last week on NBC, but not this week on NBC. That's the same thing with the virus. Three months ago, you could say, don't wear a mask. Today, the rules have changed, do wear a mask. And now you've got to be shamed for saying three months ago not to wear a mask, even though they, the media, said it as well. Let's take the Wuhan virus in January and February. The media was saying it was the Wuhan virus, the Wuhan coronavirus, the Chinese virus. And then the president said it was the Wuhan virus. Oh, you can't say that. It's racist. How dare you, you racist, say that? The president closed the, closed the border with China. Said we can't have travel to China. How dare you say, I mean, Joe Biden himself came out and said, you can't do that. That's racist. A month later, turns out the president was right. Oh, well, he should have done Europe. It was really Europe that was the problem, not China that was the problem. That was racist. I mean, we're in Calvin Ball. You can't keep up. And it is the six-year-olds in the press and the progressive movement who are the ones writing the rules and constantly changing the rules to keep a competitive advantage from everyone else. And and the only way to play Calvin Ball is to not play at this point in this reality. So I, I say all of this to say, you know, I, I'm getting emails from people, you're, you're getting too preachy on the mass stuff. Listen, I, I, I really do believe that we know more about the virus now, July 17th, than we did February 1st. I really do believe the data and the research and the science have changed. I really do believe with my own eyes that I can see these countries that are doing it that are recovering faster than we are. But I can't help but acknowledge I understand your skepticism. I understand the people who are reluctant to do it. I understand the people who it's a little bit dubious for them as to whether or not we're doing the right thing. And the only way to play at this point is to not play. It's it's very much like on Twitter. The only way to play Twitter at this point is to not play. I feel perpetually stuck on Twitter because uh, nowadays as as I'm expanding with the show, you know, I'm my own advertiser. I'm my my own advertising agency. I'm my own syndicator. Uh, I'm I'm the host of the show. I got to grow the show. I'm doing all, all the growth reaching out to the station owners and I've got Charlie and and I've got Philip and I've got Candace. I've got Jim here with me running the board and, and I'm, but it, you know, it, it's, it's my show. I don't have a syndicator. I don't have a Westwood one, a premiere or, or anyone else. It, it's me doing it. And when I go out and I reach, I got to have the social media presence. What's your Facebook reach? What's your Instagram reach? What's, what's your Twitter reach? Everybody wants to know your social media metrics. If I could delete it all, I would, but I can't. But most people probably at this point shouldn't, like my kids with TikTok. I won't let them have it. The only way to play is to not play. And, and so there are a lot of people here with, with this virus now who have decided uh, the only way to navigate the field is to turn off the experts and turn off the media and turn off the politicians and figure out what's best for themselves. And there's really nothing wrong with that. I do believe that there is some disinformation out there now. I saw a video yesterday, and it still annoys me today. I actually did a a, a, a counter video. There was a woman on TikTok 
who wanted to show the the uh, effectiveness of masks and blowing out a candle. So she sets up a candle and she's able to put on a, a surgical mask, you know, one of those blue masks like your surgeon wears and, and poof, the candle goes straight out. She puts on an N95 mask and poof, the candle goes straight out. I'm like, there's no way this is not possible. And so I did it last night on video. I, 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 I was further back from her and was able to blow it out with my T-shirt over my nose. But then I put on a little surgical mask and couldn't do it. Put on a thicker mask and couldn't do it. Didn't have an N95 mask, but I got a daily wear mask. There's a company called Adams. It's a shoe company. And they make great masks. Uh, they're, they're thin. They're lined with, they got copper and silver filament in them to be antiviral, antibacterial. Uh, and uh, they're great and can't blow out the mask. There's this disinformation campaign going on. Like, I do believe there are people who didn't show up for their COVID-19 test and then got a, a you tested positive note in the mail. I do believe that probably happened to some people, uh, but I don't think it was widespread. And yet I'm hearing now constantly, I know so-and-so who knows so-and-so who knows so-and-so who had this happen. Or I talked to someone in church who said it happened. Well, give me their name. I would like to talk to them. I really would like to talk to them. I'd like to see the documentation. Uh, is it just people mouthing off? Is it people saying it? Because, you know, people sometimes say stuff. It's part of Calvin Ball. You kind of make stuff up as you go along, and, and people buy into it. I think everybody's playing Calvin Ball these days. It's really hard to find the truth and, and follow the rules when there are no rules, and, and the truth is whatever you want it to be. We are in a perpetual game of Calvin Ball now. And the media started it, and now the media is really, really, really hacked off that there are a lot of you who have decided, well, if the rule is there are no rules, then we're going to make our own rules and you can't do that. So you've got to be shamed by the media for not following their rules, but it's Calvin ball who can blame you. You want to live your life. You want to process the data as you can, but here's the one, here's the one rule of life that I think a lot of people are violating along the way. And that is a lot of people are being real jerks to other people when they're just well-meaning. Like for example, I've heard from multiple school administrators that they are getting just really livid parents who think the virus is no big deal it's all a bunch of hooey and why can't our kids go back to school? And and the administrators are doing the very best they can with the guidance conflicting, however much it is they can to try to make a decision to keep people safe. Even when people don't realize it's a big deal, uh, there, there should be some healthy level of skepticism out there, but also a healthy level of knowledge that like here in middle Georgia, now uh, hospitals have filled back up. Uh, there's pretty much capacity. Now they're having this in ICU patients from Macon to Rome. Now that's a pretty telling signal. There's a problem, but part of the problem is the data and the science have changed so much and the media has never wanted to acknowledge how and when the data changed. They just wanted to use the change to attack you for a position that the media themselves had four months ago. So everybody's playing Calvin ball. The rules are what you want the rules to be, except the rule is the rules cannot be used the same way twice. And you may begin a game with a rule that says don't wear a mask and end the game with a rule that says there is a mask with no understanding of how the rule came about or where it came from or why it's there. And the media is going to attack you for following the rule that you had five minutes ago without an appreciation and understanding or an explanation of why it changed. So I'm, as much as I want people to wear masks, let me say I totally, totally, totally understand why there's a healthy level of skepticism towards wearing them from people out there who three or four months ago were being told by the media and the academics and the experts and the White House that it would do no good. Just at the time, no one realized we were in Calvin Ball, and now we know we are. All right, I'm back. I, I'm, I, I feel very confident about the Calvin Ball thing now. Um, I, now that I've talked you through it in real time, that's where I am. We're, we're in Calvin Ball. 
Uh, the only rule is that the rules can't be played the same way, except the media kind of does if you're white, male, Christian, and a Trump supporter. I'm interested in something. Uh, my my wife uh, is a very much likes Brian Kemp, uh, very very much does, and she's rather aggravated with him on the mask thing. I think the media, and I want to I want to wait a little bit. I'll get into this. The media is badly misrepresenting his lawsuit against Atlanta, which really isn't about stopping masks, um, but. Um, I, he's in a difficult position and I understand philosophically why he's doing what he's doing, but uh, you know, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Fred on Twitter, he actually changed his account because I kept referring to him as Fred on Twitter on my other show and he lives in Atlanta. Uh, so now he's Fred on Twitter and he pointed out, you know, when we f- first got into this, the governor was telling, uh, local areas of the state, they should, uh, one size doesn't fit all, and, and what's good for one area of the state may not be good for another area of the state. Well, now some areas of the state want masks, and some of them don't, and so why the change? And someone uh, got mad at me. They sent me an email and said, if you feel this strongly and you disagree with him, why didn't you, you tell him you disagreed? And my view is when I have a guest come on and, and I'm probing them for their information and what they think, I, I'm not. It, it's not my time to mouth off to them about what I think and why they're wrong. It's it's my time to get information from them, and maybe that changes my mind. And, and it really didn't with me, with him. And I'm I'm wondering. I'm seeing a number of conservatives saying that uh, they think that maybe he needs to reconsider this. Uh, but he's doubled down on the lawsuit, which is being badly misrepresented by the media. Um, it, just so we're clear here, uh, and, and I want to go into detail with this later. Um, the, the governor's lawsuit really is not about Atlanta making people wear masks. It's about the mayor of Atlanta deciding to go back to phase one, uh, which shuts down restaurants for in-room dining. It shuts down gyms. It shuts down bars and nightclubs, uh, and it shuts down other businesses without certain protocols being met. And the governor's point is that the city of Atlanta refused to enforce all of the governor's other mandates. The city of Atlanta refused to uh, enforce social distancing in bars and nightclubs. The city of Atlanta refused to enforce social distancing in restaurants. The city of Atlanta refused to uh, make sure businesses were actually doing temperature checks of employees and refused to make sure businesses had their employees wearing masks. And now the city comes along and after the rioting and letting the protesters run amok and and not socially distancing there and says, hey, uh, now we need a mask mandate uh, because the virus is out of control. And the governor's response is, well, of course the virus is out of control because you completely ignored everything I've been telling you to do. In fact, most major cities and, and municipalities in Georgia have completely ignored the governor's mandates that are still in effect, by the way, on what to do. And I, I genuinely do think that the governor would, if the cities and, and counties of the state enforced his existing mandates and the virus was still spreading, he would say, you know what, it's time to take this to the next level. Let's mandate masks. But he's not going to mandate a mask when the city can't follow any other mandates and really just want ticketing revenue. I think there's a relevant issue there for him. I got more to say on this, but when we come back, uh, Fox is under fire, not Fox news, but Fox, the TV network is under fire uh, because they're not ditching Nick Cannon on the mass singer. And there's the disinformation campaign that's circulating. I am convinced we're in the midst of a disinformation campaign from masks to tests to schools Everybody and everything, the, the the situation is getting very, very muddy out there, very confused. And that confusion, 
is, is building more angst among people. And we should see if I can sort through the confusion with you on this. We got a whole lot of stuff uh, to cover, and there's a lot more on Brian Kemp stuff, and in the next hour, I want to get to it. One of the things that's happening, though, I've been trying to to, to do my part to serve our local communities uh, around the state of Georgia by also reminding you about the census, uh, because your census forms are due, and a lot of people aren't filling out the census, and it's rather important that you do. Uh, and the reason is this isn't like a paid PSA or anything like that. Um, it, it's just because it doesn't just set the seats of the legislature. It doesn't just set the the um, the districts in Congress. Uh, the census also determines how much money each state gets. That money is going to flow to the states. Uh, and whether Georgia gets it or Florida gets it or New York gets it, it's going to go. Uh, and the more people participate in Georgia, the better odds there are that we get it. And uh, my buddy Jake uh, used to be my neighbor, works down in Houston County, and he has—he's the one who reminded me that I should be talking about this issue. And I, Jake is with me right now. Jake, how are you? Fantastic, sir. And uh, I do appreciate you having me on the uh, on the on the station today. Yeah, so it, it, can you explain to people, because I know you, you work down in Houston and, and you're trying to make sure everybody does the, the census down there. Can you just explain, the, the the without me having a mouth off to people, you're the expert here, tell them about why it's important. Well, I mean, yeah, let, before I get into that, um, uh, Eric, let me just say to everybody, uh, if you go to Eric's uh, Facebook page, he's got a picture of his Glock um, that was uh, done up in a fantastic manner by... Uh, true precision. Yes. And that Glock looks fantastic. So uh, I just want to put a plug in for them. Listen, yeah, uh, I, I don't. I don't need to do my ad read for True Precision now. Thank you. Go to true-precision.com and check it out. Jake says so. <laughs> that is a pimpy looking Glock, brother. When you and I get together offline, I want to. Put a few rounds through that thing. Man, that you, thing you need great. to. It, 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 the grip on this thing. My wife doesn't like the grip. She thinks it's too grippy. I love it. You got to have grip, brother, for sure. Hey, yep. um, listen, the census is very important. It's not It's not a political thing. It's not, you know, a black, white, purple, whatever. It, it's all about, um, you know, everybody doing, you know, get, the census is about um, support for, for kids, for schools for roads, hospitals, um, you know, the, the feds have this big m- money bag and they're going to distribute it based not on uh, need, but based on numbers. So if Georgia has the biggest population that it can get for folks participating in the census, Georgia, Houston County, Bibb County, um, Middle Georgia, Northeast Georgia, Southeast Georgia, Southwest Georgia, uh, you know, we'll get its fair share. You know, we want the money coming here from the feds, not going to, you know, Florida, New York uh, City, Carolina, whatever. Yes. Um, We don't want Andrew Cuomo to take the money that should be coming to Georgia. (laughs) uh, No, that that negative ghostwriter. We don't want that at all. So now let me let me ask you uh, in practical speaking uh, I know I I went online and I did it uh, but what are people because we're not having census takers come to our doors thank goodness what what should people be doing It's real easy it took me about 10 minutes and I got I have four people in my family uh, everybody if you want to go ahead and grab a pen before I give you this website um, <clears throat> go ahead and do that but it's my 2020 census .gov, my2020census.gov, and you can go to that website and complete your census. 
about 10 to 15 minutes and you're good to go. And, and Eric and friends, by completing your census, you ensure that you do not have a census door knocker coming to your door. So if you, if you do not want uh, a, a friend coming by that you're not sure who that is, go ahead and do your census. Because later this year, as I understand, the census uh, takers will be going door to door to folks who have not completed their census. Uh, you can do it online, my2020census.gov. It's real easy. And before you let me go, Eric, I want to let you know that Houston County is at a 65.2% uh, participation rate in the 2010 census. Um, we were at 66.2, so we're one point away from reaching our 2010 uh, participation rate. So if you are in Houston County, have Bibb friends County. or family who live in Houston County, Bibb County, or Bibb County. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm good. You know, Houston County, Bibb County. If you have people that live in Georgia, uh, tell them to participate in the census. But Houston County is only one point away. So, my Houston County friends, please participate in the census. My 2020 census. Eric, I appreciate Listen, this time to uh, boy, I, I, I'm so glad you reached out because I, I, I really would. And I know nobody else in, on talk radio is really talking about this, but it really is a big issue. And I'm glad you put it on my radar. I, I and, and we will. I'll let you shoot that gun at some point. I'll bring my own ammo so you don't have to use any of yours. And we'll pop a few caps for sure, my friend. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Um, l- listen, um, I- I- in all seriousness, uh, I- I- <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting a, a, a text message. Habersham. Habersham. <laughs> regardless of which county you're in, regardless of which county, I, I'm not going to. Do you know how many counties there are in Georgia? By the time I named all of them, they'll created five more. Um, but regardless of which county you're in, is seriously, my my 2020census.gov, uh, if you don't do it, they are going to come to your door. And if they come to your door, they're going to ask you the long-form census. You don't want them to ask you the long-form census. See, if you go like, no, I've already done this, so I can tell you, I can tell you uh, what, what what happens because uh, I did mine. Um, Jake would have come to my house and, and beat me if I didn't, so I had to. <laughs> um, so you go my twenty twenty census dot gov, uh, and and they ask you a couple questions. They verify your identity, and uh, what happens is. Uh, they ask you your name, your birthday, uh, and then they ask you your race and, and ethnic origin, all that stuff. How many people live in your house with you? Uh, and then you identify as this, this your spouse or, or children or someone else. And what are their names and what are their birthdays and their ethnic origin? And then you're done. That's it. Now, what is the um, what is the long form census when they come to your door? See, if, if you don't do this, if, if you don't do this, this is important. If you don't do it, they come to your door and they ask you the long form census. Who are you? They ask. Give us your name. We need to verify your name, verify your birthday. How many people live in your house? Or who are you? Which one are you married to? Or your partner? Are you are you gay, straight? Um, are are you transgender? Are you really a man? Are are you a woman? Do, have you decided you're a non non binary, uh, transgender, pansexual, atheist, uh, whatever? Uh, and and then they go in into all the other stuff. Well, what's your employment? 
What do you do for a living, sir? And you have to answer the question. That's the thing. With the census, it's required. It's in the Constitution. It's actually constitutional. They're required to get this information from you. Now, you can say uh, that, no, they're only required to get my name and, and the number of people in my house, but that's not true. That's not true. The census, going all the way back to the founding of this country, has allowed Congress to ask probative questions of your household, including how many toilets do you have in your household, sir? Well, I'm not going to tell you that information. Well, you have to tell me that information, sir. I'm not going to tell you that information. Sir, if you don't tell me that information, uh, they're going to round you up and haul you away to jail. Now, I, I'm over-exaggerating that point, but they, they, they get very annoying about it. You don't want the long-form census taker to come to your house. You really don't. So what you do is you go online to the website and you fill it out. Now, this is also more important. It's not just the money between states that get divvied up based on your census. The money that also gets divvied up, it gets divvied up by county in the state. So, for example, I live in Bibb County, uh, in, in in the heart of, of middle Georgia. I live in Bibb County. And uh, Jake actually uh, is down working in Houston County. And if there are more people who fill out their census in Bibb County than there are in Houston County, we get more money than Houston County. Now, I actually think demographically there are now more people in Houston County than Mib County, so the odds of that are slim to none that it happens. But let, let, let's go up to, to northeast Georgia. You people in Habersham County, I love you. You fill out your census. What, 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 are, your, what are your neighboring counties up there? Um, Rabin County, is, is, is that up there? You know, I, I, one day i got to remember all these counties. I, I know, let's see, Floyd and... And and I know Habersham, and I got to work on all my counties. Yep, Rabin County. That's right, Rabin and Stevens and White. So y'all in Habersham do a better job of filling out than say Rabin County. Well, guess what? You're going to get more money than them. Those of you in Floyd County, you fill it out, and you're going to get more money than the counties around you. Uh, so you need to fill out the census. Listen, I realize I, I'm doing a PSA. You don't care about the census. I realize there's other stuff you care about, but it actually really is important. And I'm glad Jake wanted to call in and talk about it uh, because there really there's there's not enough um, coverage right now, and largely because of the virus. Everybody's focused on the virus. No one's focused on this stuff. And this is the nitty gritty of the American political system. Uh, the census is the foundational constitutional basis for our system. It determines the number of people in the House of Representatives. It determines how many. Uh, representatives each state gets. It determines uh, how districts are redrawn uh, in state legislatures for redistricting, for gerrymandering purposes. It determines how much money your state gets and your county gets from the federal government for various programs. Uh, Foundationally, the census is that important. No one really talks about it. It's kind of taken for granted. It only happens once a decade, though, and this decade is the decade of COVID-19 where you don't want people showing up at your door, and legally, by law, they have to do it. The Constitution requires an in-person direct census. You're not allowed to do statistical sampling. Democrats, you will recall, wanted to do statistical sampling. And the Supreme Court ruled that you can't do statistical sampling because the Constitution requires a head count of all the residents. Uh, We have always done censuses going back to Roman times. You know, uh, Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem for the Roman census. They had to go to the town of origin of the father. So they had to go to, well, they couldn't go to heaven with the real father. So they had to go to Bethlehem with the Joseph father and uh, they had to be head counted there. 
Censuses going back thousands of years were all based on physical head counts, not statistical sampling. And the Supreme Court said it's anachronistic, it's archaic, it's old, but that's the way it must be done. And so in order to do a head count, you either got to go online and do it yourself and verify your identity and the people in your house, or you got to have the census taker come to your door. And do you want a census taker come and knock it on your door? With your and here's the thing. If you think I don't answer the door, they'll go away. They don't. They get more and more pestering until you answer the door. And if you don't, they get the government involved and the government makes you fill it out. If you are Hispanic, if you are an illegal alien, it doesn't. you're not going to go to jail. No one gets rounded up by taking the census. See, there, there are people out there who tell you uh, that if you're an illegal alien and a census taker comes and knocks on your door, you're going to get hauled away when you say you're not a citizen. That's not true. They got to know how many residents there are because a lot of the census money, it's not divvied up by how many citizens, United States citizens are in a county, but how many residents, legal or otherwise, are in a county. Now, some of you may think that's unfair, but that's the reality. Legal and illegal residents both consume resources within counties, and so the federal government wants to make sure you have resources based on the amount of people who actually live there. Um, I, 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 the whole thing sounds preposterous, I realize, but it really is that important. And so I'm fine to dedicate this amount of time on the radio show to talk about it because you got to get the census done. The website, my2020census.gov, I have already done it for my family. It takes 10 minutes. It is not very burdensome and it's not very intrusive. And if you don't do it, they come to your house and they give you a more intrusive one. So I highly recommend everybody does it. I want to talk about Dan Snyder for a minute. Some of you may not know Dan Snyder. Uh, Dan Snyder is the much maligned and deservedly so owner of the Washington Redskins or, or the Washington Anonymous now. We're not allowed to to talk about uh, the name of the football team anymore. Um, well, there's been buzz coming for four days that uh, there was a devastating bombshell, bombshell, bombshell report about Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins. And it has finally come, and it's bad. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to underplay it. It's bad. But it really isn't what we were promised by the media. Uh, a few months after Emily Applegate started working for the Washington Redskins in 2014, she settled into a daily routine. She would meet a female coworker in the bathroom during lunch break, she said, to commiserate and cry about the frequent sexual harassment and verbal abuse they endured. They cried about the former chief operating officer's expletive-laced tirades, Applegate said, when she recalled him calling her a, a effing stupid and then requesting she wear a tight dress for a meeting with clients so the men in the room had something to look at. They cried about a wealthy sweet holder who grabbed her friend's backside during a game and the indifference the team's top sales executives displayed. But most of all, they cried about the realization their dream job of working in the NFL came with what they described as relentless sexual harassment and verbal abuse that was ignored and sometimes condoned by top team executives. Um, it's bad. It's not good. But we were promised by the media for several days through rumor and innuendo that this would bring down Dan Schneider. 
uh, that that Dan Schneider would finally be ousted. People hate him, and in fact, they they are uh, spending in order to me. I mean, this is Deadspin, which is left wing political uh, laced sports site. The Dan Schneider report dropped, and it's horrific. Dan Schneider thought his team's racist nickname was the worst of his problems. A bombshell report by the Washington Post covers in extensive detail a toxic culture of sexual harassment and hostility towards women working for the NFL franchise owned by Schneider that announced it was dropping its racist name. Schneider, who bought the team as well as FedEx Field for $800 million in 1999, is not accused of abuse himself, but the allegations span much of his tenure and involve several members of his inner circle. We've heard allegations like this similarly of other teams. Uh, the, the difference here is that a lot of people in the media who hate Dan Snyder because they're Washington Redskins fans and it's a garbage team now when it used to not be. Okay, it always was, but they don't think so. Um, they, they've hated that they've had to root for the Redskins because they, they believed it to be a racist name. They've hated all that, and Schneider refused until now to do it. He's he's not quite the competent person. He's not a great owner of the team. He's not a great shepherd of this team's legacy. Let's be honest here. Uh, I'm not a Dan Schneider fan, but we were promised through rumor and innuendo over a multi-day period when there was no news report that this would be the end of Dan Schneider. This was going to be too big. He couldn't overcome it. And then you get to the report, and the report is kind of like, yeah, haven't there been reports about other teams doing this as well? This is all really bad, uh, but how does this take out Dan Schneider? And the point here is not so much the report. The point here is that for three days, the press was doing news based on the rumor of what the report would be without the report being seen. And when the report came out, uh, it really, it, it has a lot of bad stuff, but not what we were promised, which is the end of Dan Schneider. There's nothing there that amounts to, I mean, they, they, they twist, all of them are, are twisting to try to, to, to make it about Dan Schneider because there were people close to him, but there are no allegations against him here. He's a, he's a terrible team owner, but there are no allegations that would bring him down. And yet that's how it was framed by the media in the run-up to the report. This reminds me very much of the media with James Comey's testimony before Congress. If you'll recall in, what was it, 2000, 2017, 2018, no, it, it, 2017 or 18, I can't remember when. Um, I guess maybe it was 2019 when he testified because the Republicans didn't really have him uh, come forward. And uh, CNN did a big story. Some friends of mine were involved with it, that he was going to make all these outrageous allegations against the president. This could be the moment, the, the a turning point. We bring down the president. And it wound up not being uh, what CNN claimed. And, and some people at CNN got in serious trouble for making these claims. And CNN had done uh, multiple stories based on the claims of sources of what would be in James Comey's testimony that was never in James Comey's testimony. Some outrageous statements the president allegedly had made to James Comey, very explicit statements that showed criminal behavior. None of that stuff was in Comey's testimony. None of it, it, it when, when members of Congress probed, he denied it. It wasn't there. It, it flat out wasn't there. But the media for multiple days was fixated on the rumor of what would be in Comey's testimony, and then Comey's testimony got there, and it was kind of a nothing burger. With the Redskins report, the media has been fixated since Friday evening when the rumor started, has been fixated with the devastating 
destructive report that would take down Dan Schneider, the owner of the Redskins. And then it came out late Monday. Let me read you part of the report. While Applegate and others did not accuse Schneider of acting inappropriately with women, they blamed him for an understaffed human resources department. Schneider routinely belittled top executives, according to three former members of his executive staff, perhaps most intensely Green, the former sales executive, whom Schneider mocked for having been a cheerleader in college. After one executive staff meeting, according to one former employee, Green said Schneider had ordered him to do cartwheels for their entertainment. That's it. That's it. He understaffed the human resources department and ridiculed a dude who worked for him for being a college cheerleader. Who hasn't done that? I Kidding. Okay, kidding on that one, but you, you get my point. Um, this is, the reports are bad. I mean, what happened was bad, and I don't want anybody to think I'm undermining that, but it's not what we were sold. It is not what we were led to believe. The reporting of the report was more outrageous than the report itself, which undermines the credibility of the report. And in fact, I think it undermines uh, some of the serious claims that were made by some of the women who worked in the organization when we were promised so much more. And now people are like, where, where, where is everything? Well, there's a lot there. It's just not what we were promised. The media more and more is doing this these days. And I don't get, I, I don't get the sense that they understand how much they're destroying their own credibility on stuff like this. Hi there, it's Eric here. Oh, look, I'm just getting another message that if I donate right now to Donald Trump, I will, five met. I'm sorry, my primal guttural script. I'm so tired of these text messages. I, I, I went on this yesterday. Okay, let's reset. Good morning. How are you? It's Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, unless you're going to text me fundraising messages for the president, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. While I'm getting text messages, I'm also getting the emails. I got one from Donald Trump. I got one from the official Trump campaign. Oh, my Lord. Okay. I, so the media, national and local to a degree, is doing a very bad job of discussing why Brian Kemp and the Attorney General Chris Carr are filing a lawsuit against the city of Atlanta. I would like to dive into this. They're making it about masks, and um, it, it's not really about masks. Masks are mentioned, to be fair. Masks are mentioned as one of the the um, overstepping of bounds of the city of Atlanta by making them uh, an enforceable mandated thing when the governor did not give that permission. But it's not really about masks overall, and the media making this, the lawsuit about the masks is missing and, and grossly distorting the actual legal point of the lawsuit. The reason the governor is filing a lawsuit against the mayor and, and, and the reason the masks are part of it has to do with what the city of Atlanta has not been doing. The city of Atlanta has not been complying with the governor's existing mandates. Now, I, I realize those of you who are nationally listening to me right now uh, don't know this uh, because the media, I think, uh, the media not in Georgia has not really covered this accurately. Uh, the governor of Georgia has some existing mandates in place for businesses. In fact, he's extended the mandates now. 
And these mandates require that uh, open music venues be closed still, uh, that bars and nightclubs be restricted in their capacity, their spacing, their hours, uh, that uh, restaurants have to be reduced um, population uh, and employees have to wear masks. Employers must conduct temperature checks on employees before they come in. Uh, there must be hand sanitizer or hand washing stations throughout businesses that are forward facing, that is facing consumers, whether it's a restaurant or, or a business that you walk into for business. They're going to be hand sanitizer there, all, all of these sorts of things. Uh, they're outlined in a very comprehensive order of the governor that was issued when he reopened the state in May and has been extended multiple times now through the end of this month. And they will be extended again, I'm sure, for August. Uh, one of the things the governor said is that the cities cannot exceed or be, can be they can't be less restrictive or more restrictive than that order. That order was put in place based on the advice of Kathleen Toomey, who is the um, head of the Department of Public Health and a, a world-renowned epidemiologist. The problem is that none of these cities in Georgia that are demanding a mask mandate have actually enforced any of these things. So, for example, let's focus on the city of Atlanta. The city of Atlanta has not focused on uh, crowd control at bars and nightclubs and restaurants or gatherings on streets. The city of Atlanta has not enforced employees at businesses, particularly at restaurants and nightclubs, wearing masks. The city of Atlanta has not enforced uh, hand washing and sanitation stations in businesses. The city of Atlanta has not enforced temperature checks. The city of Atlanta has not enforced any of the things the governor said needed to be done. In fact, state resources are having to be consumed to enforce the things because the city of Atlanta is not doing them. Neither is the city of Savannah, which also wants a mask mandate. In fact, in Savannah, the state police have had to go in and, and break up crowds because the city has not bothered to do that. And the governor's point all along has been, if you do these things, the virus should stop spreading. If the virus doesn't spread and you're doing these things, we'll consider additional steps. But none of the cities that want masks have bothered to do these things. And now the city of Atlanta sees the virus spreading again in the city. And so the city of Atlanta has decided to roll back its phases. Uh, phase one was restaurants needed to be closed, bars needed to be closed, nightclubs needed to be closed. There needed to be even more reduced capacity, et cetera. And, and the governor said, absolutely not. Uh, you haven't enforced any of the stuff the governor said. And so the governor's not going to let you now roll things back when you didn't do the things you needed to do to begin with to keep the virus from spreading. He's not going to let the city of Atlanta now punish businesses by forcing them to shut down after they just reopened when he told the city of Atlanta the things they needed to do to keep the virus from spreading, and they chose not to, including during the protests and riots. During the protests and riots, the mayor of Atlanta was seen without a mask on. The city of Atlanta was seen uh, without a um, – the, the city of Atlanta mayor was seen out in public. Uh, there were people out there who uh, were in the crowds, who were protesting, who didn't have masks on. Uh, there was no uh, diffusion of the crowd, separation of the crowd. There have been ample reports in the press of people gathering in midtown Atlanta and bars and nightclubs, not socially distanced, uh, no, no sanitation measures taking place, the police not enforcing it. 
and now they want this, and the, they want to shut everything back down. And the governor should simply say, no, you, you, you didn't do what you needed to do. You're not now going to punish these businesses because you failed your job. Now, you can disagree with the governor on this if, if you want, but that's actually what's going on. And the national media and even some of the local media saying this is all about the governor not wanting Atlanta to mandate masks. The mandating masks is part of it, but it's not the part that is the central focus of this that everyone would say. It is, it's not the focus of, um, of the governor's lawsuit. If you read the governor's lawsuit, it is about prohibiting the mayor from being able to shut down businesses. And in the lawsuit, the governor shows that one of the things the mayor is doing is mandating masks and has she has no authority to do that, which is causing confusion, additional confusion for businesses. And that's why the masks are in the lawsuit, if you read the lawsuit. It's not that the, the mayor is mandating masks and, and so must be shut down. It's that the mayor is sowing confusion among businesses and interfering with commerce in the state of Georgia by not complying with the orders of the governor, imposing orders of her own that conflict with the governor, and now shutting down businesses that don't comply with her when those businesses don't have to. There's no legal basis, and now there's mass confusion. That is what is happening. You don't have to take my word for it. You can read the lawsuit yourself. Uh, the media has framed this as being an anti-mask crusade of the governor. That's not fair, and that's not accurate. If truth matters, and I believe it does, I've just given you the truth of what's going on. If hyperpartisan spin matters, then listen to the headlines that this is all about the masks. Now that I've given you all that, let me tell you what I think. I think early on, the governor of the state of Georgia was very good at saying local governments in different parts of the state should be allowed to respond differently. And if, uh, if for example, at the time, you'll remember down in Darty County and Lee County, they had the outbreak at Phoebe Putney, and, and the governor said if they want to close down businesses and stuff, let them do it. Uh, but if you're over in, in Thomaston or Thomasville or Bainbridge or Dalton or wherever and you don't want to, you shouldn't have to. And each area of the state should be able to decide for themselves. And I think that's the right approach here. I think if your part of the state wants to mandate masks and the governor's not going to do it statewide, they should be allowed to do it. Right now, what we have is a series of private businesses that have had to step up and do it. And the reason they're doing it, and listen, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to be preachy. I'm trying not to be in your face. I'm, I'm trying not to be argumentative here. I'm just telling you that at this point, there is, um, at this point, there is some great data out there that does show the effectiveness of masks in stopping the spread of the virus. I actually put up a video on Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter last night showing that if you put a candle up to your face, you're wearing a mask and you blow, you can't blow out the candle. Now, yes, all of you are experts on one micron viral particles, which you've seemed to have missed in the data. I'm trying not to be disparaging here. I'm just, I'm so aggravated with people sending me um, fringe scientists. Like one of the things I get all the time is that, well, the virus is one micron and one micron can go through the mask. Yes, that is a thousand billion, three trillion percent accurate. A one micron virus can be blown through the mask. 
all of you who have sent me that are a billion, trillion, quadrillion percent accurate. But the virus at one micron does not leave someone's mouth by itself. It leaves trapped inside a water vapor droplet, which on a cold day, many of them are big enough for you to see. And those water vapor droplets are blocked by the mask. So the one micron virus may penetrate the mask, but it doesn't penetrate the mask because it's embedded within the water droplet that is trapped by the mask because the the mask can penetrate, can, can stop particles of that size in which the virus is embedded. It can also alter the airflow, which is why you can't blow out the candle. It alters the airflow. The, the, the air goes up or down. That's why your glasses fog up. That that's the science. That's the data. You quibble with me all you want. That that's fine. I'm, I'm not. I'm. I've I've given up on trying to persuade people. All I'm telling you is that if it, right now we've got a bunch of businesses that are having to do this, impose mask bans. Publix makes it effective on Monday. Kroger makes it effective Sunday. Walmart makes it effective immediately. Target makes it effective immediately. Best Buy makes it effective on Monday. Uh, Whole Foods already has it. Costco has it. Fresh Market has it. Uh, Starbucks has it. Now, more and more businesses are stepping up to ban you from coming into their business without a mask, and that should be perfectly fine. I actually had someone get mad at me on Instagram yesterday and and walk away because he decided that um, I was being too condescending and holier than thou on the mask subject, and all I did was say, literally, uh, in fact, you know what? Let me play you the audio. Um, I, I want to play you this video because I, I literally genuinely lost a follower on social media yesterday who blew up at me because I did this video. Here's all I said in the video, and this is why the guy said I was holier than thou. People can disagree on whether or not wearing a mask works. People can disagree on whether or not it'll be useful to stop the spread of the virus. More and more scientists think it'll be good, but we don't need to debate that. Here's also what we shouldn't have to debate. When you go to a private business and the private business has a sign that says wear a mask or don't come in, wear the mask or don't go in. Don't yell at the bag boy who's probably making minimum wage and is scrubbing buggies to keep you safe that you don't want to wear a mask. Simply don't go inside. If you honor the sign that says no shirt, no shoes, no service, then also honor the sign that says wear a mask or don't come inside. Wear the mask or don't go inside. This isn't hard. It's actually pretty easy. It's pr- that, that, that's what I said. And then I ended by saying, thank you for coming to my Eric talk. That, 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 that's what I said. And, um, 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 well, I, he got mad at me and said I was holier than thou for saying that. You, you listen, if, if you don't want someone to come into your house, you don't have to have them come into your house because it's private property. Same with the public. If Publix doesn't want you to come in there because you have, uh, you're not wearing a mask, they can do it. Um. By the way, uh, great, great, great email I just got uh, from my friend Jerry who says it, 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 this lawsuit from the state, it's really about state preemption so the citizens don't have to carry a code book with them to determine whether or not they're violating the law. That, that's a good point here. Uh, and, and that's in the governor's lawsuit. He makes that point that businesses should uh, not have mixed messages coming from local governments uh, that conflict with state guidance. And he's absolutely right. But I think the governor is wrong on the point of, I think if, if local parts of the state decide that they want you to wear a mask, 
they should be able to mandate it. In the same way, several months ago, the governor said that local governments should be allowed to issue their own guidance up until they were all complaining, saying we needed uniform state guidance, and then he gave uniform state guidance. It is somewhat funny now that the 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 counties and cities that wanted uniform state guidance at the time are now complaining that they have uniform guidance, they want to do it themselves. I, I do think, though, that uh, the data suggests masks would work. The governor, to his credit, wants everyone to wear a mask. He's just not willing to mandate it. Uh, He's trying to thread the needle there, which much of the national press is giving him hell for. He's trying to thread the needle on this, and, and he does make a good philosophical point that the government cannot, should not be in a position to impose on you good responsibility on yourself. Uh, But I think we're rapidly getting to the point where it's going to have to because there are too many people who don't want to exercise that responsibility themselves because they read on the Internet that it doesn't work, even if the science says otherwise. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The governor of Texas. Let me talk about Greg Abbott for a minute because he is getting incoming fire from all directions. Conservatives are mad at, and, and you know, I mean, Republicans, can we just, okay, I'll get to Greg Abbott. Let me make this point real quick. Uh, Republican governors in particular are in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation right now. Uh, were Brian Kemp to mandate masks across the state of Georgia, uh, there would be open revolt by Republicans in the state of Georgia. Uh, who would probably, with pitchforks, uh, march on the governor's mansion and demand his removal from office, uh, even though he's doing what he can to keep everyone safe. Um, it, and by not doing it, he's got the national media and uh, suburban left-leaning voters upset with him, but they're not his base. Uh, there's just no winning if you're a Republican governor right now. Uh, you do the best you can do. Nobody wants to show you any grace. If Governor Kemp did everything the media told him to do, they would still attack him because he beat Stacey Abrams. Uh, And very much the same thing is playing out in Texas with Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott uh, is trying to do the best he can do, uh, and he's saying that he's not going to shut the state back down. He just wants everyone to wear a mask and people can get back to work. Uh, Here's the governor of Texas. You know, it seems like I get this question about a thousand times a day, and there uh, seems to be rumors out there uh, about a looming shutdown. And let me tell you, there is no shutdown coming. And let me tell you two reasons why. Uh, One is because uh, I have uh, now... uh, put into place a statewide uh, requirement uh, that everyone wear a face mask. This is the best standard as articulated this week uh, by the head of the CDC saying that we will be able to uh, contain COVID-19 if everyone will simply adopt this practice that is now in place across the entire state of Texas. And then the second thing, of course, is it was just a few weeks ago uh, that I ordered the closure of bars. And my point is this, uh, it takes about uh, three weeks or so to see the results of these orders that have been put into place. And if you look at what the numbers are in Harris County, for example, you've seen pretty much a flattening over the past week or so of of the number of cases as well as the number of hospitalizations. We are certainly not out of the woods yet, but this could be a a glimmer of hope coming uh, if people will continue the practice of wearing face masks wherever possible. The only way we can avoid a shutdown is if we do get everyone buying in uh, to this process of wearing a face mask. That's the government. He is under withering fire from conservatives for saying that, uh, under just deep critical fire from conservatives who think this is an infringement of rights. But here's the, here's the crazy, crazy, crazy one to me. And this is the one I, I philosophically don't get. 
and it is that somehow this is social conditioning. I'm, I'm hearing this from people. Uh, it, the, the phraseology comes from that that conspiracy corner, the, the QAnon people, that, that this is somehow social conditioning for other stuff. What 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 social conditioning is is it? For you to wear a mask, the, the government already makes you put your clothes on before you leave your house. You're socially conditioned there. Uh, the government make, makes you put your seatbelt on when you're driving your car. You're socially conditioned there. They make you drive at a speed limit. You're socially conditioned there. They make you stop at a stop sign. You're socially conditioned there. They make you send your kids to school. This it, is what one more thing. Oh no, this is the bridge too far. We gotta let the virus run because otherwise we're. So, I just I I don't I, I I can't relate. I've lost my ability to relate to people. I guess that's what it is. Um, I'm, 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 I won't be preachy with you on, on, on the mass stuff. You know how I feel, but I just, I, the, the weird conspiracy theories out there about them is crazy. So I, I put up this video last night. I have lung damage and was able to show that by wearing a mask, it didn't affect my blood oxygen level. And people think that I doctored it or something. It's just, we live in weird times. You know that we, we live in incredibly weird times. And I, I don't understand people anymore. Maybe it's a good thing. I, I mean, I generally hate people anyway. Uh, that's why I like to shop on Amazon because I don't have to interact with people. Uh, people are stupid. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, a preacher friend of mine says I should stop saying that. May, maybe I should. People are sinners. How about that? Uh, I want as few sinners in charge of me as possible. That's why I'm a conservative and believe in limited government. And and half the time now I get people telling me I'm not a conservative because I believe in limited government and don't want Washington spending all this money. I just, I'm perplexed by humanity these days. Well, I, I nearly forgot my, my radio microphone was on and I just nearly ended my career by saying, what is this? I got to, I, I, it's part of my sanctification to work on language. Um, um, the, the, the mayor of Atlanta, Geisha Lance Bottoms, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta play for you this clip. Uh, this, this has happened. What is this on MSNBC? Of course. Shift gears just a bit before we go, because in the past month, Atlanta shootings are up 124% compared to the same time last year. What is going on? What's happening in Atlanta is what's happening across the country. There is a, a, a combination of things. There are these systematic or these systemic issues, including uh, lack of access to health care, uh, and including people being unemployed. People are dying of COVID-19. We witnessed the injustices that have happened in front of our eyes, and it's boiling over into our streets. It's happening in Atlanta. It's happening across the country. The, the irony of it is that our overall crime rate is down by 18%. But in Georgia, an open carry state, people are allowed to walk down the streets with assault weapons, and we don't have probable cause to stop them. And you don't get to pick and choose which demographic uh, you get to stop and, 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 and question as to why they're walking in our streets with open weapons. It is an issue in Atlanta uh, it's an issue in other cities across this nation, and it is one that we take very seriously. Uh, but this notion that somehow the governor is helping us with law and order is false. He has military tanks in front of state buildings. This is a playbook. Uh, this is a, a play out of the Nixon playbook. Uh, so open carry is to blame for the increase in shootings in Atlanta. 
you know, I've had a level of respect for this woman that is rapidly disintegrating every time she speaks these days. This is baffling to me. Well, actually, it's not really baffling to me. It, 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 it's partisanship. So if you go to Atlanta, an increasingly, uh, increasingly a city you don't want to go to, um, you will find kids now on streets who are trying to sell you water. And there have now been several instances where if you haven't bought the water, they shoot at your car. And she's decided to set up an entrepreneurial task force to help them become better businessmen. To blame open carry for a rise of shootings in Atlanta uh, is to deflect it. You know what we need? We need grownups. And it's increasingly clear that the, the mayor has decided to resort to grade school antics, that nothing is her fault. She's not to blame. It's the other kid that did it. Brian Kemp is not responsible for an increase in shootings in Atlanta. You know who is responsible? The mayor and the district attorney for not having the back of the police and refusing to police their city. It is not the governor who is responsible for that eight-year-old who died in Atlanta when her mother pulled off the interstate and tried to turn around. It is the person who shot the girl and the mayor who didn't want the police going there to clear those people out. The idea that open carry is to blame uh, for an increase in shooting in Atlanta, uh, it, it defies all logic. Open carry has nothing to do with it at all. It, you know, it, I know a lot of people who openly carry their guns. I know a lot of people who conceal carry their guns. I don't know a single one of them who goes around killing people. And she fundamentally, and, and you know what? Actually, I was going to say she fundamentally doesn't understand. It. No, this is the issue. She does understand it. She just wants to lie about it. Uh, and, and that's where we are. Uh, we, we got a whole lot of people lying out there about this stuff. Now, uh, I, I want to give you some good news. By the way, um, if, if you want some really good, if you're in middle Georgia, I realize this doesn't affect a lot of you, but uh, it, uh, it affects middle Georgia. There is some good news today in middle Georgia. Uh, the CEO of Navicent Health is retiring. I'm using air quotes because I've been told it wasn't necessarily a full retirement, as is being said in the media. Um, there's more to it than that. Man, the only people I know who like this woman are the only people who are the people who haven't met her. Um, so this, let, let me let me for those of you in the rest of the state, this is relevant to you. Uh, so the Medical Center of Central Georgia was at one time a distinguished hospital system throughout middle and central Georgia. It was originally called Central Georgia Health Systems, uh, and then it was the Middle Georgia, um, is, um, uh, what is it, the the um, Middle Georgia Hospital, uh, the, the now Medical Center of Central Georgia, MCCG. It was a noted brand. It was a reputable brand, and, and they hired this, this CEO, uh, Ninfa Sanders Saunders, who came in. And uh, her her genius was to change the distinguished noted brand to Navison Health and consolidate all these brands under this one thing, Navison Health. 
a made-up name, if ever there was one, uh, and then degraded everything. Everything was degraded. I, I know people who, so, you know, a, a lot of you, wherever you are in the state, have these facilities where you basically sell everything you own and you move into a property that's at a nursing home and you you own the cottage you're in. And ultimately, when you when you, you you run down completely, you move into the nursing home. Well, I, I've overwhelmingly number of people I know who did that and felt scammed uh, it has has gone up incredibly. I know people who sold mansions and moved to this facility that that is owned by Navicent and are deeply now embittered. They have done it. The, the, the CEO has has engendered no goodwill in the community. Uh, and is is left, uh, and I'm I'm told there are financial issues. Now I'm told the hospital is is winding down surgeries. Uh, that there are that there's a massive influx of COVID nineteen patients in Middle Georgia. The hospitals are completely full. In fact, Rome now is taking ICU patients from Macon. Rome is not exactly close to Macon, and Rome is having to take overflow patients from Macon. Um, you know, contrast the medical center of Central Georgia, which is the nonprofit hospital. I'm sorry, Navicent Health. Oh, by the way, so the other thing that the CEO did is she decided to to partner with the uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg uh, Board of Health, which runs a hospital, and they call it Atrium. Uh, Atrium Healthcare. Atrium Healthcare is actually the Charlotte Mecklenburg uh, Board of Health. They run this this atrium that has been under investigation by the feds for driving up healthcare costs, uh, and so so there's this partnership there now that nobody particularly cares for, but it was I'm sure a good deal for her. Uh, so it's good news at least that the CEO of Navison Health is is out the door. Maybe they can go back to the Medical Center of Central Georgia, bring back some competence and, and some brand loyalty. I got to tell you, just as an aside, and if I'm a little hostile to this hospital, I want to tell you why I'm hostile to the hospital. It is because several years ago I sat in that emergency room for several hours with a history of blood clots uh, and, and was not seen. And finally, and the only reason I went there is because I had gone to the little dock in the box up the road from me. And normally I would go to Coliseum Medical Center uh, because they're better. And uh, I went to the dock in the box. I thought it was something else. He said, no, we, we were worried you may have more clots. You need to go down there. We don't have the capacity to to do all the tests you need to do. So I went down there, I sat for three hours, went over to, finally got fed up, went to the Coliseum Hospital at like one o'clock in the morning, uh, got into the emergency room within 15 minutes and guess what? Had clots in my lungs again. Um, and uh, could have could have been bad. Um, thankfully it wasn't, but I just, it, it my, my wife had a very similar situation where a doctor at the dock of the box told her to go down. They took her by ambulance. My wife has lung cancer. They took her by ambulance down there. And uh, said very specifically, the doctor at the dock of the box place said very specifically, here's what's going on. Here's what needs to happen. Uh, they took her into the back. They said, oh, the doctor says you have a migraine. They gave her a shot. And they sent her home. No, the doctor actually said she was low in potassium and magnesium and potentially had the flu and needed to be admitted to the hospital overnight for observation. But the very first thing was that she had a migraine. So they treated her for the migraine and they sent her home. And it was infuriating. Uh, it felt fall on deaf ears that, no, this is what the doctor said. They're like, no, 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 it's just a migraine. It's in her home. The next day, she wound up having to go to Coliseum uh, Medical Center where they actually took care of her. It's, 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 it's infuriating to me that this sort of stuff happens at a at a hospital. Uh, I worked at a law firm for a number of years that represented the place, and it, it had a sterling reputation and uh, hasn't in the last few years. And it's sad to see a major medical facility degrade like that. Uh, and so I'm glad the CEO is gone and, and I'm happy to, to dance around and say it's good news today. But, but 
we are having uh, statewide now issues with the viral resurgence. Uh, and the data coming out of middle Georgia is particularly troubling because for the longest time, that area of the state, though it did have a rise in cases, they thought that it was over the hump in May. And now the surge is so bad, you're at major hospital capacity. So the Medical Center of Central Georgia owns so much. Uh, but there is Coliseum Hospital, which is private uh, for-profit hospital. It owns two hospitals in town, Northside and Coliseum. This is in Macon, where I am. And they largely wound down much of what was at Northside Hospital and moved everybody down to Coliseum because no one was coming in for elective surgeries. They had to save money. They had to scale back. They had to move people down. Now they got a nursing shortage. There are real problems in scaling back up to deal with the virus in addition to everything else going on out there. And we could see some problems on the horizon here in the state. Meanwhile, you've got the mayor of Atlanta who doesn't want to take any responsibility for anything. In fact, you don't have anybody who wants to take responsibility for anything anymore. But hospital or deaths from the virus are down a third in Georgia. And there's so much bad news that we can fixate on and so many people want to cast blame on everyone else right now. There's actually good news out there. Hospitalizations are up 15%, but deaths are down 33%. Now, why is that? Well, we now know more about this virus than we did when it started spiking in, in February, March. And, and that I, it, I, I'm, I'm very much beating the drum on this because you do need to understand that I realize the data has changed, the expert advice has changed and all this. But the reason it's changed is because we now know that so much of the World Health Organization and China were lying to us in uh, January and February. We had to get our own data now. Well, we've got, got March, April, May, June, and now July. That's five months. We've got data. We kind of now see what the virus actually is as opposed to what China said it is. So for example, back in February, we presumed that the people who were most contagious were the people who had symptoms. Uh, with the flu, you are most contagious when you have symptoms of the flu. With COVID-19, you're most contagious before you have symptoms. Pre-symptomatic people are more contagious than, than people who have the symptoms when it comes to COVID-19. Exactly opposite the flu. China and the World Health Organization told us it was behaving like the flu. Turns out that's not true. That is why so many people are now saying wear a mask because if you're contagious, you're not even going to know you have the virus. So the data has changed, the research has changed, but that has also brought with it good news. We now are better able to, to help people. We are better able to keep people alive. We are better able to get people in and out of hospitals quicker. We are better able to stabilize people so that they don't need to go to the hospital. And so deaths are down 33%. Now, deaths are a lagging indicator. Deaths lag by about three weeks. By the way, if you want to see the data, text the word data to 33777, and you can see the IHME modeling. Uh, you can see the Department of Public Health, which is the big one. And you can see there actually is a, a, a daily spike in Georgia, record highs on a daily basis now of the number of incoming cases. I mean, the, the, it, it keeps looking like it's going to trend down and it keeps skyrocketing. And there doesn't seem to be an end in sight in Georgia. In Arizona now, they seem to be crested over the her uh, over the her over the curb. In Florida, emergency room visits for COVID like COVID like symptoms are starting to decline. Georgia's got some catch up to do in this regard, but there's a silver lining, and the silver lining is this: awareness is going up, and concern is going up. And more and more hospitals are being uh, explicitly open about what's happening in their hospitals, that they're filling back up, they're running out of space. And so people are staying home again. People aren't going out. You've got private businesses stepping up, making you wear a mask. 
you've got people less and less. I, I went to the grocery store yesterday, wore my mask. There were fewer people in the grocery store yesterday than there tend to be on a Thursday at the Publix. People are staying home again. Restaurant capacity is going up or was until the governor put it all on hold. Uh, but number of people going to restaurants is going down again. These are all good signs. These are all good things. The, these are, uh, it, the data is good. There's there's a lot of bad out there, but there are good signs. Again, uh, hospitalizations in Georgia may be up 15%, but deaths are down 33%. The number of people who are scaling back their own activities without the government having to tell them to do it is good. We just need everybody to get on board with this. I, I'm still continue to be stunned at the number of people who think this is all a conspiracy and the virus isn't real, like Chuck Woolery, who wound up deleting his social media account. He went on a two-day tirade about how COVID wasn't real. It was a government conspiracy. He doesn't really know anybody who had it, and then his son got it. Don't be like that. All righty. Uh, I, I have a pet peeve. You can call in if you want. Share your pet peeves. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And, and one of the reasons this is a pet peeve of mine is because I used to be this guy. Let me play you, Kevin McCarthy. You're exactly right. It should be very simple. It's something that President Trump says a lot. We should rebuild, renew, and restore this nation. That means building it back to the strongest economy we ever had. It's a great contrast between President Trump and Joe Biden. You know who can rebuild it. Who's best to stand up to China? We know that's an easy answer, too. Who's best to make sure your children will be taught again? Not if when your, your schools will open, but how they'll open. Protect your children and protect your teachers going forward. You're right about this being an important election, but it's more important than you've watched in the past. Because if we do not win this election, I don't know we'll ever have an opportunity to win it again. Because they will change the rules of the game. How we vote, they will change. You know, in California, they allow people who are not even citizens to vote in school board races. You know, in California, they lowered the age to 17. Do you know in California that you could turn your ballot in 17 days after the election? Those are things they're doing right now. That's what they'll go across the country. This is what the Democrats proposed in their number one bill. Will they take away, they'll expand the Supreme Court. There won't be 50 states, there'll be 52 states. These are the things they drive to. We want to focus on bringing this country back, rebuilding it, restoring it, and renewing it. And that means law and order and justice. That's Kevin McCarthy, the Republican. Now here's Karen Bass, uh, the head of the Congressional Black Caucus. Every four years, we always say that this is the most important election of your lifetime. I believe because of COVID, this election is a matter of life and death. If we don't have the leadership to bring this under control, I mean, the, the, um, the craziness of we have to rush to open up the economy, everyone wants to do that. I would like to be in front of the National Press Club right now. I'd love to go to a restaurant or to go visit friends. We'd love but, to have you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you can't just deny things and expect it to get better. How on earth do you expect the economy to get back? If you can't contain the virus. And here's Elizabeth Warren. So question number four. So I am also a millennial, if you don't know. And I want to ask you this question. What would you say to a amount of a lot of millennials like myself, young people who are on the fence of voting for Joe in November? What could you say to them? Vote like your life depends on it. Warren. Because it does. Pick any issue you care about. 
I guarantee it is on the line in this election, and Joe Biden has a vision for how to make change. If it's dismantling systemic racism, Joe Biden has been clear that as president, he's going to strengthen America's commitment to justice and to reform our criminal justice system. If it's for student debt, Joe is in the fight to help cancel student loan debt. If you believe in science and think we need to take action on climate change, Joe has just put out a plan to do that. If you know the importance of appointing judges who are committed to justice, Joe Biden is committed to doing that. You know, for me, this is about having a president who understands what's important and he's in there and willing to fight for it. It's just me or do y'all feel like the tomahawk chop every time she talks? <laughs> Kidding. Oh, that's going to get me hate mail. Um, you know, okay, so here, here's the thing. Um, the The... This is the most important election of your lifetime. You got to you got to vote for Joe Biden. It's the most important election of your lifetime. You got to vote for Donald Trump. It's the most important election of your lifetime. You got to vote. It's the most every single election. And I used to genuinely, truly believe that. I used to genuinely, truly believe that. But you know what? Every election is important. None of them are the most important in your lifetime. There's just this ratcheting up, and, and the the it, it, it never never releases the pressure. It, it just ratchets up further. Um, and every election we're told is the is the most important. And I really truly believe if you don't go vote now, it's over. America is over if you don't go vote now. Well, you know we we, we said this in 2016, and people took it seriously. And now suddenly it's an 18. Oh, no, you got to go re-elect Donald Trump, or America is over. Has he done nothing for four years that could keep? I mean. It, there's no, there is no, there is no permanency in American politics. So much of Barack Obama's legacy was by executive order and Donald Trump absolutely undid it. And Joe Biden, if he's elected, will undo a lot of Donald Trump's legacy. In fact, Joe Biden will spend so much time undoing Donald Trump's legacy uh, that he won't have time for his own legacy before the, the next election. Which is, it just, it's, it's Donald Trump can have a legacy of undoing Barack Obama because that's what he wanted to do. Joe Biden's going to be distracted from trying to undo Donald Trump's legacy to be able to do anything significant. Uh, and, and he's got to deal with the Congress where there's a filibuster in the Senate. Oh, they're going to get rid of the filibuster. I, I've been hearing people say they're going to get rid of the filibuster since uh, George W. Bush in 2000 got elected. And, and they, they, they wound it down for judges and that blew up in the Democrats' face so much. I don't think they're going to do it with legislation. I'm just, I used to be the guy who would tell everyone, oh my gosh, if you don't go vote, we're all going to die. We got to do something. And then I realized, no, actually, there's nothing permanent in politics. Why, hello, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. I hope you're doing well. It is Friday. We should all be excited by it being Friday. It is July 17th and it is hot. It is hot in Georgia. Afternoon thunderstorms galore, I'm sure. From what I am told, there's just going to be, in fact, uh, I, I don't think there's anything going on outside right now, but I'm just going to do a cursory glance of the radar, which I rarely do around here, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're good. Other, other than uh, up in the North Georgia mountains, we got some pop-up showers, um, but otherwise there's really nothing. Uh, which is good. We're in clear air mode, uh, which means that uh, they they aren't expecting anything around here right now. It is it, these afternoon pop-up showers, though. It's just it's hot out there, and it's going to continue to be hot out there. It it it's things are going to heat up. Like here in Macon, where I am, 
we're expecting almost 100 degrees. It's going to be 97 for a high today, 95 for a high today, 97 elsewhere. I mean, over in over in Athens, you're going to be in the night. I think everybody's going to be in the 90s. What what is what is well, of course, Clarksville is only going to be like 91 because it's God's country. I mean, even Rome is going to be 97 degrees. Um, Blue Ridge, uh, Blue Ridge is is maybe going to hit. It's going to be in the 60s at night in Blue Ridge. Good gracious. I need to move to the mountains. I, I, I need to win the lottery and build my house on Lake Burton and just broadcast from there. I have decided. Actually, you know one of those villas up at that waterfall club? I stayed up there. Uh, in one of those villas, uh, borrowed one, and I needed a break for a couple of days. And I went up there. I That place that I stayed in, y'all, let me, I, I was not going to start this way, but now I am because I'm fascinated with home building because one day I hope for the show to be successful and actually earn some revenue from it, enough that I can buy land and build a house. And so I stayed up at Lake Burton uh, about a month ago now. I, I was in total meltdown mode. Um, and now I realize actually, I don't think I, I filled you all in the story. I was actually, I was, I had to take some medicine and it was the medicine. It was the side effect of the medicine. Uh, and I just, I complete meltdown. My wife threw me out lovingly said, you, you need to break, go, go take a break somewhere. So, uh, a buddy has a, knows someone who had a place up at Lake Burton at the, the villas at the waterfall club and let me stay there. And it was gorgeous, but I've never been in a place. This, this, it had a bathroom that was like a car wash. You walk into this place, and you had, uh, you had shower head sprayers uh, up one side and down the other. One coming down the rainfall, the traditional, the handheld, the 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 ones that 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 hit you all over your body. It was crazy, and it was like a steam shower too. You pushed a button, and suddenly you were in a steam room. It was incredible, and heated floors. One day I want to be able to build a house with that sort of stuff. I, 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 if I could build, so we've got, and, and everywhere. In fact, I was up in uh, Clayton when I went up to Lake Burton. They've got one there. They're all over Atlanta now. You know that these pop up uh, drive through car washes. You've got this this pop up drive through. We've got one being built right outside my neighborhood, as a matter of fact. Uh, and you, you, your car goes in. That you got two guys who kind of scrub you down your car down, and then they you you put your car in neutral and it pulls you through. I want that for a shower. I, I want I want it to be like I sit down and I just run through, and the scrubbers come down and scrub, and the water comes from every direction, and then the hair dryer comes out and dries me off. That is what I want. I If I could get a car wash for a shower, I would do it. I would pay money, I think, to be able to drive through, the, to walk through one of those car washes, just, just, just to experience it. Probably like take my skin off if I did, but nonetheless, I just, I, I want one of those showers like I had up at Lake Burton in that villa where you, you had a, a shower head that was, was going to clean your butt crack in your front and your back and your front and, and your head and your shoulders. And, and, uh, and then you'd push the button and suddenly you're in a steam room and then you start all over again. And it had like one of those unlimited hot water tanks, which I also want. Uh, I love shower. In fact, this, this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I went to CrossFit yesterday and, you know, I was, I was laughing with my wife the other day. She has like leg day and then she has back day and then she has chest day and all that stuff. And at CrossFit, you just kind of do everything except yesterday. By God, the trainer decided that, that it was, it was shoulder day for me and I was going to have to, I was going to have to work my shoulders and I am so sore this morning. I have hesitation on even going. 
And I am not ashamed to say I got in the shower this morning and got it super hot and I just stood there. And I was nearly late for my very own radio program because by the time I got out of that shower, it was like 8.55 and and I'm afraid Jim was going to call me and wonder where I was. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, can, I can raise my arms about halfway now. Oh my goodness gracious, that was so miserable and painful. All right, now I actually need to move on to serious stuff. Um, beyond that, I want to I want to move to a very troubling story because I we are going to see more of this. We're going to see a lot of this. There is a story in the Atlantic that has been making the rounds now for two weeks. How I became a police abolitionist abolitionist by Derecka Purnell, and, and here's her sub, subtitle, when people dismissed abolitionists for not caring about safe victims or safety, they tend to forget that we are those victims, those survivors of violence. Let, let, me, let me read for you the beginning of this piece. We called 911 for almost everything except snitching. Nosebleeds, gunshot wounds, asthma attacks, allergic reactions, Police accompanied the paramedics. Our neighborhood made us sick. A Praxar industrial gas storage facility was at one end of my block. A junkyard with exposed military airplanes and helicopter parts was at the other end. A fish seasoning plant in our backyard did not smell as bad as the yeast from the Budweiser factory nearby. Car honks and fumes from Interstate 70 crept through my childhood bedroom window where, if I stood on my toes, I could see the St. Louis Arch. Environmental toxins degraded our health and often conspired with other violence that pervaded our neighborhood. Employment opportunities were rare, and my friends and I turned to making money under the table. I was scared of selling drugs, so I gambled. Brown-skinned boys I liked aged out of recreational activities and without alternatives into blue bandanas. The territorial disputes led to violence and 911 calls. Grown-ups fought too, stressed from working hard, yet never having enough bill money or gas money or food money or daycare money. Call 911. When people dismiss abolitionists for not caring about victims or safety, they tend to forget that we are those victims, those survivors of violence. The first shooting I witnessed was by a cop. I was 12. He was angry that his cousin skipped a sign-in sheet at my neighborhood recreation center. I was teaching my sister how to shoot free throws when the officer stormed in alongside the court, drew his weapon, and shot the boy in the arm. My sister and I hid in the locker room for hours afterwards. The officer was back at work the following week. Like the boy at the rec center, most victims of police violence survive. No hashtags or protests or fires for the wounded, assaulted, and intimidated. I often wonder, what if Derek Chauvin had kneeled on George Floyd's neck for 7 minutes 46 seconds instead of 8? Maybe Floyd would have lived to be arrested, prosecuted, and imprisoned for allegedly attempting to use a counterfeit $20 bill. Is that justice? This, for me, is why we need police abolition. Christopher Bedford is an editor at The Federalist. He's the vice chairman of Young Americans for Freedom. He's a board member for the National Journalism Center. He's the author of The Art of the Donald. He got curious about this story from Derecka Purnell. The first shooting I witnessed was by a cop. I was 12. He was angry that my, I, 
Uh, I was 12. He was angry that his cousin skipped a sign in at my neighborhood recreation center. I was teaching my sister how to shoot free throws when the officer stormed alongside the court, drew his weapon, and shot the boy in the arm. There's a problem. Christopher Bedford has investigated it. He identified this woman's neighborhood in St. Louis, Missouri. Based on her description of it, she says this is him writing in the Atlantic. Purnell said she was 12 years old when her with while her current age is not public information. When she sat for a Kansas City Star profile in 2004, her age was listed as 24. That would put her between 2001 and 2003. A broad search for police and recreation center uh, yielded 37 results. The results included voter guides, community events, feel-good stories, budget updates, and all the standard business local news coverage, but no stories resembling a police officer shooting a, a boy. Due to confused memories, her neighborhood's a difficult place to nail down, but uh, she said that she lived along I-70. There were fumes from the Budweiser factory. She said there was a junkyard with exposed military airplanes and, and helicopter parts. You can actually see that place on Google Maps, though the owner probably wouldn't call it what she calls it. It is there. You can see it in Google Maps. A three-minute walk up the street sits Andy's Seasoning, a multi-generational family specializing in fish seasoning. While it's not the only spice manufacturer in the city, it's the only one focused mainly on fish seasoning, which she describes as being manufactured in her backyard. A mile down the road is a Praxar industrial gas storage facility that is burnout. It exploded in 2005. The fish seasoning plant and the airplanes aren't actually at the end of blocks, but three-quarters of a mile apart, but they're close enough to enclose the neighborhood. And while the fish seasoning plant isn't in the backyard of any residential homes, it's just two and a half short blocks from the outskirts of the neighborhood. And she may be misremembering the interstate. The car honks and fumes crept through my uh, childhood window, but Interstate 64 is just a half mile north. Joining the railroad to wall the neighborhood off from the city center, and while the Budweiser factory, with the smell she says overpowers the backyard fishing, is two miles away, it's a prominent place in St. Louis to note. But the vivid and imprecise description of her neighborhood, she talks about her neighborhood recreation center, which was most likely Buddha Recreation Center. But there are a couple of other recreation centers in the area, so the Federalists went out and did searches for all three and and did sunlight law requests for police shootings at any of those places. If a police officer discharges his weapon, it's going to be reported. And between 2001 and 2003, there were 23 police responses to the Booter Recreation Center and 38 to the 12th and Park Recreation Center, all within reasonable distance of where this woman probably lived. There are no general reports of this happening, of a police officer shooting a kid in an arm, uh, and there are no specific reports for either of these recreation centers. There are zero, zero results. The media has circulated this woman's story now since July 6, when it was published as something everyone has to contend with, with outrage over why no action was taken against this police officer who shot this kid in the arm. And how can people get away with this? Well, there's a reason why they're, they're, the guy got away with it is because it didn't happen. We are surrounded this these days by people who who tell stories, maybe exaggerated stories, maybe misremembered stories, or maybe disinformation. And all of this is feeding into a culture of grievance and outrage 
over what's happening in the country. We, we we get this outrage and grievance on the right. We get it on the left. We get mass disinformation on all sides. The number of videos people have sent me of, of, of supposed experts telling them exactly what they want to hear on the virus. And the information is not only not true, but those people don't even exist. They're, 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 who, who knows who they are? They somehow made it on the internet as experts and doctors, and nobody can tell you who they are, where they live, what they do. We know the Russians specialize in this. I, I just think we're in a massive disinformation campaign in this country, and it's across the board. And some of it may be foreign governments in doing it, but a lot of it is us. A lot of it is the left. Who needs truth when you could advance history? We're going to see more and more of this. I, I got to I gotta give a, a great commendation to the Federalists for exposing this. And it is interesting that the media is refusing to make eye contact with the story for the Federalists. Now, part of it is they hate the Federalists because they hate the Federalists' attacks on the media. Uh, but I, I got to think that, you know, we've got a big story here that got the media whipped into a frenzy last week while I was on vacation. And it turns out there is no documented evidence of the facts as claimed in this report, there is zero evidence of it happening. And yet, uh, the media wants to buzz about it. Will there be a correction? In fact, the Atlantic refused to even respond to the Federalist. Why tell the truth when the media can get you whipped into a frenzy with mythology these days? Yes, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let, let me tell you something as well. I have admittedly lately been really bad about uh, sending recipes. And, and it's largely because it's just, I, I haven't had time between vacation and getting ready for vacation and, and all the other stuff I've had to do. I just, I haven't had time to do it. And now I'm getting back into cooking and, and writing stuff down and, and want to resume. And I got an email from a listener from uh, Valdosta yesterday who said he subscribes to the list and would I please get it going again he needs new recipes doesn't have the money for cookbooks uh, was appreciated being on the list and would I even throw in so, some tips techniques and recommendations and so I intend to and the way I intend to do it is to start these going back I guess on Wednesday that's when I was doing recipe Wednesday so text the word recipe to 33777, text the word recipe to 33777, and I will, I promise, I'll get back to uh, sending out recipes for you, and um, you just just be patient with me. Now, let's go to the phones here. Um, who am I going to? Jim and Decatur. I'm going to go to you, Jim. How are you? Oh, pretty well. How are you doing? Good. Well, uh, this uh, these fake articles, these phony articles, uh, remind me of uh, Stephen Glass of the New Republic yes. and uh, Janet Cook of the Washington Post. And it looks like uh, either Glass or the, nor the last time I read Cook are in the business anymore because they just made up some stories. Uh, Cook's yeah. was about a, a a young drug addict. I mean, like. I want to say maybe he was. She wrote him up as being like eight, thing, but uh, it turns out not to have been true. And the Washington Post had a lot of egg on its face. And Stephen Glass made up these uh, preposterous stories about uh, Republican dirty tricks, and mm -hmm. turned out not to be true. And then there was Jason Blair of the New York Times. Yes, yes, 
And so, yeah, this has been ongoing. The American Spectator used to give away the Janet Cook Award each year, going back decades uh, for just phony journalism. And so I thought, well, well this, this really isn't anything new. Yeah, you're right. That's such a good point. Um, and I had totally forgotten about them uh, before you called in. I actually, while you were talking, I had to Google. I, I knew his last name was Blair. I was like, what's his first name at the New York Times? You know, they got a history of this. And, and there's a common theme in that they make up stuff about the right. Although I, I, I got to tell you, uh, and thank you for the phone call, Jim. Um, I got to tell you guys, do you remember? So Stephen Glass, one of his most famous stories was covering CPAC. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, and he was talking about how essentially the kids show up and they are the adults in the room, buy them all drinks. It's it's essentially a conservative orgy. Uh, it, it is uh, supposed Christian kids who, who get scholarships to go up to D.C. for a week and they spend their entire time doing drugs and sleeping around. And uh, he wrote this entire profile about his time hanging out at CPAC and all the bad stuff, and it played into all the liberal conception, pre- preconceived notions of conservatives were all hypocrites and they were all a bunch of drug-addled, oversexed people and on and on and on, uh, and, and actually closeted gays and on. I mean, and, and these were all sorts of things that he claimed in his story. Well, he was exposed as a fraud for a, a number of stories. He made a bunch of stories up. He was driven from the industry. And then after, after that had happened, um, I guess it was 2004, Five, uh, 2005, 2006 was the first time I went to CPAC and it was at the Ronald Reagan Trade Center. Normally it was at the Omni Hotel. It's, it's changed locations now. It's over at the, uh, near that casino area. Um, and, um, but so there was a CVS across the street at the Marriott from the, the, um, from the, from the CPAC center. And I will never forget, I went over there because I'd forgotten to bring a notepad and I was supposed to do interviews. I thought I had it with me and I didn't. So I went over to the CVS to buy a notepad and there were a line of young men, uh, all of which had their CPAC lanyards on them and they were all buying condoms. And I I thought, wow, Stephen Glass may have made up the story, but he was kind of telling the truth. And, you know, I mean, there, there, there were always kernels of truth. Um, I've been to, to many CPACs, and very often you do have a bunch of high school and college kids uh, getting drunk off the, the dimes of older people who just don't care. And so some very lavish behavior behind the scenes, and then everybody leaves with the flu at the end of it. Um, I'm, you know, it's actually a testament to, to CPAC that no one really got the virus uh, after, after someone tested positive. It's not a, well, uh, we'll, we'll get it more into this when we come back. I got more to say on that. So I, I, I got a, got a funny, uh, it's now from, from a couple of different people. So you can, when you're not near your radio station, you can go to the resurgent.com, my website, you can stream the radio show. You can stream it at a number of our affiliates as well. And, uh, when you stream the radio show from the resurgent, you have a ton of uh, PSAs during the commercial breaks. In fact, that's all you hear. You hear, so for example, the top of the hour break is about six minutes, 50 seconds long, and you will hear PSAs. And then in each of the commercial breaks, I got one three-minute commercial break, one two-minute commercial break. Uh, you hear PSAs there, and then you hear PSAs at the um, in, in the five minutes. And, and we don't have any commercials during those time. And people are like, what on earth are you doing? Why don't you have commercials? Well, so 
we we stream and and the way the show goes from 9 a.m to noon we feed audio to stations and there are stations that on occasion they don't have a local ad to play during the break and so when they don't you hear our psa comes through and we we keep audio going at all times and we do psas because we don't have ads in there if i do ads i do live reads uh and that's why you hear the psas if you're wondering uh, which reminds me, so I, I don't feel the need to, to highlight True Precision right now because Jake did such a good job in the first hour. You can go to true-precision.com to check them out. But I do want to remind you guys uh, about PPP and uh, access to capital if you're a business at First Liberty Building and Loan. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. Go check them out. Uh, if you are a business and you need access to capital to grow your business, firstlibertyga.com is who you want to go to. And if you need to try to, if you need to navigate the PPP program, I think they're, they've, no, they're about to reopen applications that the, it expired at the end of June, but they're about to, uh, they can take your application at firstlibertyga.com. If you need help, Congress is now negotiating and extending this stuff. Uh, and I thank you to them and to true precision for their sponsorship, um, and you know, while I'm talking about sponsors, let, let me do as an aside here, uh, you know, I went on vacation and I, vacation stresses me out because when you go on vacation, what do you have to have money? What do you have to have money? Because you got to pay for your vacation and I am bad at budgeting. I used to be good at budgeting. I don't have the bandwidth for it anymore. And I kind of lost the good skills of budgeting and planning and setting aside and all of that. Uh, and one of our longest sponsors is dynamic money. And dynamic money uh, teaches you budgeting, helps you with your budgeting, kind of guides your budgeting, makes it so you don't screw up your budgeting, uh, helps you with your retirement. And a lot of you right now have questions about your 401ks. Can you pull money out of your 401k? Can you stop sending money to your 401k? Uh, is your 401k okay? Do you need to, to shuffle stuff around, change your investment strategies? That's what they do. And the thing about dynamic money that sets them apart from so many other groups out there that will advise you is that they do 100% fee. There is no commission. So many financial planning firms want you to buy their annuities or their life insurance or their whatever so that you they get a commission off of it. And so they recommend products for you that then financially benefit them. And, and you leave thinking, are they giving me the best advice for me or are they giving me the best advice that makes them the best commission? And with dynamic money, you never have to worry about that. And most of the, the fully fee companies are for high net worth individuals. So you got to make a million dollars or more to go to a company like this. But with dynamic money, you can be uh, comfortably middle class and you can be 40, 50,000 a year and you got a 401k from your company and they want to help you. And so their fees are super reasonable. They do not charge you a commission and they're kind of like a, a um, general physician for your finances and they, they, they pull in all the other people, your life insurance guy, your 401k guy, your investment guy. They don't do that stuff for you. They can handle your investments, but they don't have to. Uh, and they give you good advice. They'll also help you with your budgeting, uh, which is fantastic. And I can't recommend dynamic money enough. Then I, I don't just recommend them um, by saying that, that they're a sponsor. They actually were, I used them myself and did before launching the show. Uh, so I'm a longtime client of theirs and it has been worthwhile, especially just, 
I mean, it, it sounds like a no-brainer, but so many people don't do it. Just I'm not going to put this on a this vacation on a credit card. I know I want to take it in June of next year. Let me start setting money aside now. Here's a, a great bank account with a great interest rate. Start putting money into this account. We can have it wired out of your account every, every uh, month, however much you want, and it's there. And if you need it for something else, it's fine. I, I just there are so many bank accounts out there right now, and, and stuff like this Robinhood thing. So now I've got a Robinhood account. Uh, Philip who works with me. He's been talking about Robinhood. You can make investments. Well, I've already got a TD Waterhouse account or a Ameritrade account now. And now I've got this Robinhood thing, which has an awesome debit card, by the way. But there are so many things like that. And I just, I don't have the bandwidth to keep up on this stuff. Uh, and so you use a company like Dynamic Money and it advises you and, and knows the different bank accounts and the different credit cards and the best credit cards. And they can look at your car insurance and say, you're paying too much for car insurance. Why don't you go check these people? They got better rates and it is worth it. Uh, I actually, I, I pay them and I actually make money by using them because they they have saved me so much money just in redirecting me where else to go. Uh, longer ad than it, it really isn't even an ad read. It's just a testimony. I really do use the people uh, like the Frost with First Liberty. I've known them. I've got my gun from True Precision. I use Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. I think their ad is expired, but they're still great. And you should buy them. And I use Dynamic Money, and you should too. Um, and and I don't like to advertise for companies that I don't have a pre-existing relationship with because it just doesn't seem honest. Now, having said all of that, I need to move into something. Um, I need to move into a couple of things here. Uh, one of which is I want to play for you a quote from Kelly McEnany. She, uh, Kelly McEnany is the White House press secretary, and you need to listen to what she says here. You talked about earlier with school districts, but we're seeing more school districts, at least in Virginia, for example, last night, deciding to go online only. What does the president say to parents out there who are now going, okay, what do I do with my kids? Yeah, the president has said um, unmistakably that he wants schools to open, and I was just in the Oval talking to him about that. And when he says open, he means open and full, kids being able to attend each and every day at their school. Uh, the science should not stand in the way of this. Uh, and as Dr. Scott Atlas said, I thought this was a good quote. Of course we can do it. Everyone else in the Western world, our peer nations, are doing it. We are the outlier here. Uh, the science is very clear on this, uh, that, you know, for instance, you look at the JAMA pediatric study of 46 pediatric hospitals in North America that said the risk of critical illness from COVID is far less for children than that of seasonal flu. The science is on our side here, and we encourage for localities and states to just simply follow the science, open our schools. It's very damaging to our children. There's a lack of reporting of abuse. Uh, there's mental uh, depressions that are not addressed, suicidal ideations that are not addressed when students are not in school. Our schools are extremely important. They're essential, and they must reopen. Now, the way that this has been characterized by the media is uh, that you should ignore the science and send the kids back to school. That's actually how it's been reported by the media, and yet she is very clear that the science is on her side. It's not that they should ignore the science. The science is on their side. And it is uh, another example of how this campaign, this president, uh, they they look at this through the worst possible lens when it comes to the president. They the, the media wants to be highly critical of this president. They want to blame him for stuff that he never even said, uh, which is why more and more people tune out the media and don't even believe the media. Uh, frankly, I think Jake Tapper, to some degree, deserves some credit because Sanjay Gupta was on with him. Uh, and uh, Sanjay Gupta believed the way the media characterized 
Kaylee McEnany statement, and uh, Jake Tapper had to correct Sanjay Gupta, that Sanjay Gupta was wrong and had misunderstood what she had actually said. And uh, by the way, kudos to Jake Tapper for correcting uh, the, the misconception of what Kaylee McEnany was said, but uh, shame on the rest of the press for refusing to do it, for going down the whole... A whole of saying that uh, she said you should ignore the science. Actually, the science is very much on the side of this administration getting elementary school kids back to school. High school is different. Uh, we know that teens uh, 15 and older uh, do tend to get the virus uh, more readily than kids less than 15. And there's something about puberty that actually has something to do with it that the scientists don't understand that kids who have not hit puberty yet uh, tend to be less receptive to the virus. Nobody seems to understand that. The virus is seven months old. We don't know. The data is not there. Uh, but there seems to be something where elementary school kids don't have to worry about it. And uh, high school kids do. And so a lot of places are sending elementary school kids back to school and then changing up how they do, um, how they do high school. And I think that's fair. We got a little more clarity yesterday about our kids' school that they're going to delay the opening and they're going to provide remote learning for for people who don't want to come, which is awesome for us. And I I, I gotta I I want to say this lovingly if I can. <laughs> Some of you people think I've been just a complete jerk lately. I see your emails. Um. I I am aware that there are a lot of people who think that the virus isn't real. In fact, you know what? I should sit up and, and give Philip a moment because otherwise he's going to be upset that I'm not recording enough stuff. <laughs> um, I, I, I realize that there are a lot of you who really think that the virus is overblown. I, and by the way, I can't believe we're still talking about this. This is the first news cycle in four years that just won't go away. And there are a lot of people who don't believe the virus is real or it's overstated, the deaths are exaggerated, that people aren't really getting it, that I know so-and-so who knows so-and-so or someone in my church told me that they they got a positive test, they never even signed up for a test. I, and I know that's going around and I – and by the way, I do think there are people out there who probably did uh, sign up for a test, never got the test, and then got a report that they tested positive. I, I think that happened. Um, but I think it was probably a handful of people, and now it's been spun into this nationwide conspiracy. Uh, conspiracies always have a kernel of truth to them. I'm not going to dismiss that there's been paperwork errors, and this happened to some people. I don't think it happened to most people. And uh, you, you get on Facebook now, and everybody has the story, and I'm thinking that this is like the game of telephone, among other things, and people are just spreading this stuff around. But I, I understand people believing that the virus is real. You don't know people who have it. But here's the thing, um, from liability issues to the actual science to actually there is a virus and it is killing people and it is overwhelming hospitals, sh please show some grace to your local school administrators who they've got to they've got to follow guidelines. They got to follow the CDC. They got to follow the state and federal government. Uh, your, your, even your local private school is, is trying for liability purposes. They don't want to open school. Have you come to school saying there's no virus and then your kid gets the virus and you get the virus and someone in the family dies and you decide to sue the school for the virus last week you didn't think existed. They, they've, they've got liability issues. They got to worry about their teachers, their teacher's health. 
the concern over their teachers, the concern over kids giving it, the, the science changing, try to exercise some level of grace. I was talking yesterday to a school administrator in Mississippi who I know who is beside himself. Uh, he works at a private school and he is getting so many angry parents who are telling him this is all overstated. It's no big deal. Uh, why can't we send our kids back to school? Y'all are overreacting to this. Making the kids wear masks in high school is ridiculous. Uh, no one's going to get this. Everybody's going to be fine. And he's like, I, I, he's, I don't know what to tell him anymore. And he's really frustrated with a lot of parents he's got a great relationship with because they're just being plain disrespectful to him and ugly, and they want it done their way. And he understands people want to go back to work. They want their kids out of the house. They're tired of having their kids at home. They they don't want to have to do remote learning. They're not good at homeschooling. And he totally gets that, but please try to see it from his perspective. He's got a responsibility to the school. There actually is a virus. Even if you don't think it's a big deal, he thinks it's a big deal. The government says it's a big deal. It becomes a liability issue for the school. The school gets sued if your kid gets the virus and you don't think it's a big deal and then you get it, you sue the school. This there's and and we're we're getting mixed messages on a daily basis from the media, from the government, from school personnel, from pedia, from the doctors' associations. There are a lot of mixed messages out there. So please just try to exercise a modicum of grace, even for the politicians who are trying to get it right. Whether it is Keisha Lance Bottoms, whether it is is Governor Kemp, whether it is Gavin Newsom, or whether it is the president, show some level of grace and recognize that we are seven months into an unknown virus where there is no cure and the data changes on an hourly basis. They are all just trying to do what they can to keep their people safe, uh, to be responsible, and to avoid getting sued if somebody gets the virus. Now, thankfully, our legislature passed some liability protections for businesses that open where the virus spreads, which is a good thing uh, because there are a lot of businesses that were scared to reopen, thinking they were going to get sued if someone got the virus. Now, they don't have to worry about that in the state. But just please, just, just remember – they're doing this not as a conspiracy to shut down the economy. Well, some people want to, let's acknowledge it, but overwhelmingly, particularly in this state, people don't want to destroy the economy. They want to keep people safe. The data conflicts, and they're just doing the best they can. Show them some exercise, exercise some grace. Now we go to Dobbins Air Force Base, where Justin is waiting Robin. patiently to call in. Welcome. How are you? It was Robbins Air Force Base. Oh, it was Robbins. Uh, well, my call screener yeah. wrote it as Dobbins, but you got to forgive him. He's from Montana. Yeah, I've got a graduate of the Christian, Christian Homeschool Association who graduated summa cum laude, and also she's going to Georgia with a 392 on her SATs. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and they were trying to get rid of homeschoolers, and she completed her courses. Well, it, she actually you know, graduated this year. We we've got a couple of friends of ours who their kids are in public school, and they are the teachers just kind of phoned it in. And no disrespect to the teachers, it's just what they had to deal with, whether or not they could do pass fail or anything else. And meanwhile, our kids were having to bust their butt every day via Zoom calls and the like to get their stuff done. And it's really remarkable to see all these people who want to shut down private schools uh, and put every kid in public school and, and the public school teachers are completely overwhelmed. I don't fault them at all. Uh, but yes, it's, it's Christian homeschooling and, and, and private schools. It seems like are going to actually save us during this pandemic. Yeah. And they were trying to get rid of them. 
Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they always do. They don't like the, the government never likes the competition. Uh, neither does the left. It, it really is remarkable to me how the left is turning on police unions. They Every union should be saved except the police unions. Uh, but, but, you know, to Justin's point on this, I, by the way, and I, I feel like I need to say this again because I got a lot of friends of mine who are public school teachers, and I don't mean this disparagingly to them at all. They were overwhelmed in many school systems caught completely flat-footed and have a level of bureaucracy that private schools and homeschools don't have. And there are a lot of really good homeschool resources out there right now, whether Christian or not. Uh, there are a lot of good homeschool resources out there. And there are a lot of great resources and a lot of great private schools out there. And... Our kids, for example, were my wife was the homeschool teacher in the house because I work all day and she was frustrated and overwhelmed. Our kids are going to wind up being great bartenders if we have to do this again. <laughs> uh, but our kids were busting it. Uh, hard work. They were having to take tests. They had reading assignments. They had math assignments. We had to send it in. We either had to, to take pictures on the phone of the assignments and send them, or we had to to scan it and send it, and, and they were doing it. And we've got friends whose kids go to uh, a local public school, and, and the teachers were basically had moved to pass-fail. Our kids were getting a, a actual percentages, not just A, B, C, D, F, but actual percentages, and some of our friends with kids in home, in public school were just getting past filled because the teachers were completely overwhelmed. And some of the kids in the class didn't have access to the Internet. Uh, to Here in, in a city, there were kids in the public school who did not have access to the Internet. And how do you help those kids? And the digital divide, if, we, if this pandemic continues and they don't reopen schools, is going to amplify uh, the rich versus poor situation in the country. Kudos to the Trump administration, by the way. They don't get enough credit for this. They realize it, and they are rapidly trying to deploy uh, subsidized Internet into rural areas for people who live in those areas who need access. In West Georgia, they have deployed a mass. Sonny Purdue was here to talk about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, they've employed a fiber connection through West Georgia and rural parts of the state to get people connected to the Internet, and and, and they need it. We need it, uh, and it, it's becoming obvious that there is a great digital divide and the kids who are in rural areas and don't have access to high-speed internet are going to fall further behind. And all that does is force people into cities where the virus more easily spreads, which we don't want. Uh, we're, we're seeing weaknesses in society we didn't know. You know, for years, the left has tried to push people into cities and public schools. And now we're seeing that cities and public schools are, are not probably the best place for people. Um, homeschool kids, uh, uh, Christian private school kids, they tend to outperform. They tend to have better work ethic. Uh, and, and I don't mean that as disparaging to, to, to public schools. It's just there's a lot of data out there now. And we should follow that data. And there are changes that can be made. But you know the number one change? Parental involvement. Uh, having a parent engaged in a kid's education is the biggest one. And, hey, uh, we're not allowed to have a two-parent nuclear household anymore where one person, one of the family members, one of the parents stays home because that's racist, according to the Smithsonian Museum now. Uh, just the whole thing is bizarre. You guys have a great weekend. I will talk to you all on Monday.